You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Because the service wouldn't be the same if people weren't working. So thank you, everybody. So some introductory thoughts. The last time I spoke was a couple of weeks ago, and it was about Jesus' high priestly prayer. We talked about him praying to the Father on our behalf. And then I also shared four things that God is saying to us now. One, that abiding in Jesus' word and example is truth and freedom. Second was to read his written word, the Bible, the Logos, because that's how we actually learn things. Third was that he will guide us, he will guide you, he will guide all of his followers daily. So therefore, we can trust and submit to him because he's a trustworthy father who loves us. The fourth thing was to commit to his service, and that was all about living for him. I mentioned that sometimes people are willing to die. Yes, I die for you, Jesus. And what Jesus is really asking us is, can you just live for me? Can you just do what I'm asking you to do moment by moment? So I also shared some personal things. I talked about being busier than ever. Remember that? I did the joke about my plate, and there was so much on my plate, and in my, I'm not even sure if this is a word, but in my magnanimity, in my magnanimous pompousness, I said to God, you know what? Oh, I'm so busy, and I want to serve you, and I'll take things off my plate. And if you remember what I said, he said to me was, I didn't ask you to take anything off your plate. What I asked you to do is do what I'm telling you to do, because I've got more for you. And in that instruction, he said that he'll be guiding me step by step. All I have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit's wooing, because that's what he is. He's our guide. He's our helper. And then I should faithfully attend to the task that he's given me to do. I don't have to come up with something great. Just, what did you say for me to do in that situation right there? Do that. Because by so doing, then we actually wind up accomplishing more than is expected, more than is anticipated. If you remember, what I said was, I was finally, finally doing what the Lord said to do the way he told me to do it, and I actually gained a day. Remember that? I gained a day. I had more time to do what I thought I wasn't going to be able to do in the first place. But in truth, I must still be learning this lesson as much as I'm standing here and I'm talking about it. I must still be learning the lesson because between me and you, I had another crazy two weeks that was actually busier than the last two weeks that I wound up going through. Turns out that I had a friend, a lifelong friend, who I've known for 68 years, probably a little more than 68 years, but he passed away down in Virginia on my birthday. So it was kind of like a bittersweet day but my, my birthdays are kind of melancholy anyway, so it wasn't really too far out of the norm. But, but he passed away, and I have another friend who's hospitalized now down in the Bronx. So while I was dealing with the friend that was actually passing, I'm working with another guy in the Bronx who I've also known at least for 65 years. So these are guys that I grew up with. We go way, way, way back. So if you look at life kind of like a school, like where we learn lessons, then the lessons that we don't get right have to be repeated. Think about when you're in school. You take a test. If you didn't get a good grade, 
and I know everybody in here did get good grades. Even the little ones over there that's trying to hide, you know what I'm saying? I know that they get good grades. But if you didn't do so well, then you have to take that test again. And that's what life is like sometimes. He gives us a lesson. He gives us something to learn. He gives us something to do. And if we don't do so well at it, he gives it to us again. So I'm in the process of learning this, how to really follow him step by step, moment by moment, because I had another two weeks like the last two weeks. In all honesty, next week is not really looking all that much better. But that's okay, because I'm going to keep at it. So today's sermon is going to be called Lessons and Things to Know and Do. Lessons, Things to Know and Do. And I got the title because, and it's not like I'm trying to be um, all of this type of thing, but it's like I'm learning things. I'm 71. I'm 71. I'm so old I forgot how old I was for a moment. <laughs> but I'm, I'm 71. And I'm still learning things because we never get too old to learn. So, so he showed me a series of things. And in showing them to me, what he asked me to do was to share them with us. So this way we have a family getting together and dad is telling us things. Things that we should know and things that we should do. So the first thing that he showed me, and these aren't necessarily in order that you have to get them. But the first thing in the message that he was giving me was that sin is the issue. Sin is the issue. It's really the reason why people don't do what they're supposed to. Because we have sin in our lives and we therefore can't live wholly righteous the way God wants us to. Sometimes people sin because they don't know what the right thing to do is. Sometimes they sin because they don't care what the right thing to do is. Sometimes people are really evil as well. There's just nothing redeeming that we can kind of see in them, and they're doing this intentionally. But sometimes they do the wrong thing because they've just been deceived. It's not that they're evil. They just don't know. It actually goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, if you think about it. God said, don't eat from this tree, and they did, and here we are now. And in case it was just Adam and Eve, think about it. Cain also brought an offering that wasn't accepted. And God said, you know, if you, if, if you do the right thing, then won't you and your offering be accepted? I will accept them. But you need to understand that sin lies couching at your door. And I noticed that couching at your door phrase when I was preparing. It's like, it's like you're getting ready to go through a door. This is your house. You're going to go outside because you have things to do, and there's sin over there just waiting for you. Just waiting for you to go outside so it can pounce on you. In Genesis 2.16, it says, God told Adam, you may eat of every fruit of the, eat the, eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat because when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then to Cain, he said, instructing him, you will do well if your offering, you will do well, you and your offering will be accepted. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching, just waiting for you. Its desire is for you. Let's be very clear. This isn't a happenstance thing that, that kind of goes on. Sin, Satan, is intentional about his trying to destroy us. So its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In Romans 7, verses 15 to 25, 
Paul did an assessment of the sin issue. He wrote, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if what I do, I don't want, I agree with the Lord that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I, I thought it was, you know, I'm just checking. Now, if I don't do what I want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law. Then when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, like crouching at the door waiting for you. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But then he goes on to say, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So sin is the issue. That's one of the things that we have to deal with. The second thing that Jesus shared with me was to follow me. Follow me. So now, I'm not sure who, I know some folk were in the military or the married to military people, but when you get marching orders, you don't really get a choice. This is like, you will do this or we're going to throw you in the brig, okay? So Jesus gives us, we are, the, we are in his army, by the way. So Jesus gives us marching orders. Follow me. So that means we're not supposed to run ahead. We shouldn't be lagging behind. What he calls us to do is to faithfully follow because therein lies our protection. If we get too far ahead, we can get taken, picked off. If we lag too far behind, it's the same thing. But if we're walking with him, with him as our shield, as our God, as our protector, then we have protection. Matthew 4.19 says, I will make you fishes of men. He said that to Peter and Andrew. Follow me. He said to the disciples, take up your cross and follow me. In fact, he said, deny yourself the things that you want, your desires or your plans or your willingness to take stuff off the plate for him that he didn't ask you to take off in the first place. Just deny yourself and follow me. In John 10, 4, he says, the sheep or believers know the shepherd's voice. He goes before them and they follow him. And he was saying that to the Pharisees who were always thinking that they knew, I guess, the Torah or the Bible so well that they could, like, debate with the word of God. They were going to debate with Jesus about what, what he created and what he meant when he created it. But he said to them, the sheep know my voice. In John 12, 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone, and get this now, it's a promise. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. My grandmother, I'm not sure who I was saying it to, but my grandmother once told me, Ron, it pays to save the Lord. It literally pays. 
And my grandmother was not mercenary. She wasn't rich. This wasn't about money. This was about spiritual blessings and things that go well for you because you are following, you are serving the Lord. The third thing that the Lord showed and said to me was, listen for my instruction. I want you to listen for my instruction. He said, I will guide you and I'll enlighten you. And Stephanie said it in using different words, but he will do this daily and situationally and personally. So it's not like you're just out there and kind of, we all do feel times when we're not really sure what we're doing or what we should be doing. But he says, I'm going to guide you. It's going to be one-on-one guiding. It's going to be in the situations that you face. It's going to be every day. So it's not like, oh, I'll be with you today, but you know, I was busy tomorrow, so maybe I'll catch you on Friday type of thing. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, this was one of the last things he said before he ascended, right? Go, make disciples of all nations, nations being people, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it wasn't like this nebulous thing. Jesus was saying things and teaching the disciples. And then he said, so what I taught you, I want you to go out there and teach them. And what I'm teaching is about following me. And he said, behold, I am with you always. John 14, 6 says, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So unless you think you can come up with a better plan, who else would you follow? What he enjoys us to therefore do is to look upward and be observant. Where are you going, Lord? What is it that you're teaching? Where are you taking me? and always be mindful of the fact that he's got a plan and that he wants us to experience it. The fourth thing that he showed me, he said, to serve me effectively, you must obey my commands. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. John 15, 17 says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. We take a look at John 14, 15 to 21. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. And many years ago, I learned that the Holy Spirit kind of dwells in our heart. That's just an aside. Yet a little while ago, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So it's not about saying, I love you, Jesus, I love you so much, but then he tells you to do things and then you don't do it. That might be appreciation. That might be kind of a friendly relationship. But love goes all out. It goes all in to do what is being asked. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if you want to serve effectively, you have to obey his commands. The next one was kind of like it. He said, obedience is the key to effective service. It's the key. He said to follow my example as I followed my father's will. John 14, 31, it says, I do as the father commanded me. He says that we should serve sacrificially. Jesus gave himself to save sinners and murderers. So the question for us is, is, well, should we be doing anything less? Now, in all honesty, we all know somebody that gets on your nerves, don't we? Raise your hand if you know somebody that gets on your nerves. Every hand up. Yeah, I got two hands up. You know what I'm saying? Notice that my wife didn't have her hand up, though, so I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing okay. At least I ain't see the hand. It might have been behind the pole. She was doing one of those. But if he gave himself for sinners while we were still out there doing whatever, we should do nothing less because we're trying to be like him. Acts 3.18 says, prophets foretold that God's Christ would suffer. So it wasn't like this happenstance, oh, you know, Judas and them, oh, Jesus was doing pretty good, but then things kind of went wrong. It wasn't like that. This was the plan. Jesus was sent to suffer for us so that we could be redeemed before the Father. Hebrews 2.10 says, Jesus, the founder of our salvation, was made perfect through suffering. But he also added, but I don't want you to fight in your own strength. Don't fight in your own strength. Because either if you do accomplish it, you're probably going to make a mess. Because what you accomplished in your strength really wasn't what I wanted. And even if it was kind of what I wanted, it wasn't what I wanted in the full. Your strength is only going to partially fulfill my will in any given situation. So Matthew 26, 50 to 54 says, and now get this, this is, Jesus is about to be betrayed. I was talking to George before the service, and I told the joke that I tend to be more like Peter than John. I, I run into situations, for us Bible scholars, Peter had more opinions than John. John was the loving disciple that leaned his head on Jesus' chest, and Peter was always out there doing something and or saying something. So here's one of Peter's doings and or sayings. He said to him, friend, come do what you came to do. Talking to G Judas. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, that would be Peter, he stretched out his hand to grab his sword, because that's what Peter was like, and struck the servant of the high priest, his name was Malchus, and cut off his ear. Now, if you think about it for a second, I, I, most of us really don't work with swords and stuff, but he took off his ear, but he was really trying to take his head off. So Peter was really trying to kill this guy. That was what was going on. Jesus then said to him, however, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can't appeal to my father and he will ascend at once send more than 12 legions of angels? 
Now, I can't really get my head all the way around that, but I, I remember reading that like one angel killed 10,000 people. That was one angel killed 10,000 people. So, and a legion is what, 100 or 1,000? So you have 100 or 1,000 angels, and all Jesus had to do is say, Father, help me out here. And he would have responded. But he didn't. And he's telling Peter, no, obedience is the key. I came to do this, so therefore I don't really need your help. I don't need you cutting off heads or ears or whatever you're trying to whack off. What I need you to do is, is really, I need you to go, and then I'm going to fill you with the Spirit later on. Another thing that the Lord showed me was, I call you to resist evil. I call you to resist evil. That's whether it's in, and Stephanie mentioned this, whether it's in thoughts, or it's in words, or it's in deeds. And that could be your own thoughts, words, and deeds, or the thoughts, words, and deeds of someone else that you're listening to. James 2.17 says that expressions of faith without works is dead. So if you're walking around talking about how much I love Jesus, but you see your friend over there needs help, or you see a child that's struggling with something, or you know a brother or a sister has a need, and you kind of go, yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of busy now, then that's not really faith. It's you kind of serving yourself is what it's doing. Love is actually like the antidote for evil. So if there's things going on in thought, word, and deed that are really not furthering what God wants, love is the answer for that problem. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, I like, I like sharing that verse. But what it basically says is that it summarizes all the law and the prophets. And it says, love God and love your fellow man, and then you're doing what the Bible is talking about. All of it. All of the prophets, all of the law, love is the antidote. In Isaiah 5.20 it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So that's another thing, because if you look around at the media now, there's, I don't know how many different things that, see, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stumped. I try not to think about it too much, because when I do, I kind of get like Peter, and I know I'm not supposed to be acting like that. But the bottom line is, is that people are saying any old nonsense. I do this, and it was okay. Anybody heard the phrase, I did it because I could? What kind of nonsense is that? You know what I mean? I, because I could, I did it, and that somehow justifies what I did? Did it, did it bring honor to God? Did it help your fellow man? If you didn't, then kind of really, why were you doing it in the first place? Another thing that the Lord said is, do not judge as evil those who don't do or know or seemingly care about righteousness. So don't judge them necessarily as evil. He said, I am the judge. I'm the judge, says Jesus. And God's given me the authority to judge. We take a look at John 5, verses 21 to 23, and then 30. Jesus said, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the, 
honor the father who sent him. And he went on to say, I can do nothing on, on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we're not supposed to judge. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. So if we're busy running around judging even the people on Facebook putting nonsense out there, but if we judge them as opposed to just resisting the evil that they're saying and doing, then we're kind of making ourselves judges. And I said before, with the what and why, we might know what they said, but we don't have the big picture in terms of why the Lord even allowed that to be said. So we're not supposed to judge anybody. In John 3, 17 and 19, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus says, If you're my friends and servants, judge nothing before it's time. He says, I didn't, so you shouldn't judge things before the time either. As I mentioned, we don't see the whole picture. We can't see the end from the beginning, but he does. Think about Paul. I think I might have mentioned this last time I spoke, but think about Paul. He started off a murderer and a co-conspirator, okay? He was persecuting the church. He would, back in the day, Paul would have come in here with his cronies, and snatched all of us up and thrown us in jail somewhere and would have been going, yeah, I did God's work. That's what would have happened. That's what Paul was like. However, he got saved. He then started being persecuted himself and had to flee, wound up writing most of the New Testament and died a martyr. So if you had watched when they were killing Stephen, him holding people's coats like, yeah, go get a lick in, you would not have thought that that Paul was going to be the Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. Don't judge anything before it's time. Judgment is surely coming. There's no doubt about that. One time the Lord said to me, someday all will stand before my father's court. That's exactly where he, the way he said it. I remember I was actually on a ride down to Boston University with a cousin and I was meditating because it was a long ride and I was kind of bored, so I'm like, well, I'll get with God while we're on this trip. And he said, someday all will stand before my father's court. In John 9:39, it says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, once again, he was talking to the Pharisees who always had an opinion about everything, and they knew everything, and they knew the Bible backwards and forwards, but the bottom line is he's saying, yeah, you know what? Y'all are really blind. And, and I came, because you think you see, then I'm really not here for you because you think you see, and I came to save the sick, but you think you're healthy, so I therefore don't need to do anything with and or for you. John 12, 47 to 50 says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken in my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given, 
Father who sent me has himself given me a new commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. So what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So we're not doing the raising hands thing right now, but how many times have you said something and went, oops, I know I really shouldn't have said that. Oops, I, I wish I could get those words back. Because what we're doing is we're kind of speaking in our own flesh. Not in a negative sense, but we're speaking from our head and from our heart. What Jesus said was, I came and I say what he told me to say. That's what he encourages us to do. That we're not supposed to be judges. Another thing he shared was that we are all engaged in a spiritual battle. Now, we might not be aware that we're in this battle. We might think that we're just kind of, you know, going to the store or looking for a parking space or doing whatever it is that we have to do. But we're engaged in this battle, whether knowingly or unknowingly. If you liken life to kind of like a chess game, what we really are on this board of life is pawns. We're like the pawn pieces. Now, I've played where I actually captured somebody's king with a pawn. This was many years ago when I used to really play chess. I probably just get beat down now. But a pawn has some authority and it has some ability, which is, that's us. But it really doesn't have the full reign of the board as some of the others do. We possess potential, but we have limited ability. And most often we wind up being pawns on the board, wind up being sacrificed. And part of the problem for us is we go, I don't want to be sacrificed out here. I'm not, no, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to be that. I want to be, and then fill in the blank of whatever you think is, you know, the good thing to do or the good thing to be like. But whether we know it or not, what we are is active combatants, one way or the other. Either we are knowingly doing things or we're not necessarily knowingly doing things. But we should be clear about the fact there's a cosmic battle going on around us all the time. All the time. Cosmic battle, forces, God's power is so great, I'm not giving Satan any kind of, you know, dues. However, if you put him in a room with us, most of the times we would make mistakes unless we wholly put ourselves in Christ's hands and let him move us and get us to do all the things that we need to do. Because reality is Satan's been around for millennia. I'm 71. I don't think I got millennia under my belt. Luke 10, 18 says, Jesus tells the joyous 72 who are returning. He has sent them out. First he sent out the disciples, and then he sent the 12, and then he sent out the 72, and they came back all excited. They were joyous. Oh, we had authority over demons, and we were able to do this, that, and the third. What Jesus said was, well, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I saw him get kicked out. Therefore, while you have authority over the enemy's power, rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. So it's not about what we can do. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. Whatever we do, we do it because God gives us the ability and or the authority to do it. But it's not about us. We're his children. Another thing that he showed me was that all that exists was created by God. Now, for all of us that's in here and we're Christians here, we kind of know that. So some of this was like, yeah, Lord, I, I think I got that one already. Notice this is my 
talking to him. I think I got that one already. He's like, yeah, but you know, you don't always act like it. So therefore, why don't I'm a, you just put this down and I want you to reinforce it for everyone. God is love, but God is also life. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in John 1, 1 to 4, it says that the word was with God and the word was God and all things were made through him and in him, that's Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. John, 1 John 4, 8 clearly says God is love. And in Romans 6, 23, it teaches us that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. So another lesson that God gave me was out of his love for life, he created us to dwell with him eternally. I'll say it again. Out of his love for life, he created us to dwell with him eternally. So if you think about that, that's like, it's not like he needed us. It's not like God was lonely and said, oh, you know, let me create some humans that's going to get on my nerves anyway, but I'll create these humans and, and you know, we'll, we'll do some things. And it wasn't like that. He loved life so much. He was so much of life that he said, I will create beings so that way they can enjoy this. God is love and he's life. Another one was that eternity is coming. It's coming. Now, Tim's dad is an astrophysicist or something like that. I think I, I, read, I read his father's work one time and started getting a headache. I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm like, yeah, I can read. Ooh, no, I can't read that. <laughs> I can't get my head all the way around this. But at, with my little social work degree, what I will say is that metaphysically, we're already dwelling in eternity. We're already in eternity. The difference is that cognitively, after we pass, we're going to experientially dwell with God. So whereas now, our relationship with God is based on faith, then it's going to be based on face-to-face. Once I use the phrase, we are being birthed into eternity. We're being birthed into eternity. So this life can be likened to a womb where we are being conceived in it, and then we get ushered into eternity at the end of life. I was able to, my buddy's wife was going through a whole bunch of changes, and people at the service were Nobody really wants to think, unless, unless you have a good, healthy relationship with God, nobody really wants to think about death. It's like, oh, no, I'm going to brush my teeth with the white stuff, and I'm going to live forever. I'm, you know, I'm going to be healthy. You know, I'm going to eat vitamins, and I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do all this thing. It's going to keep me here forever. No, no, no. The deal is, is that we are going to be ushered into eternity one way or the other. Life is like a womb. And we are going, we are heading in that direction. But God loves us, so we'll be okay. He enjoined me for us to live as his children. We should all live as the children of God. He's loving life. He asks us to love him with our all, not partially, not kind of sort of, it's convenient today, you know, I'll give to the church because I got a couple of extra bucks, but if it, if it kind of hurts, I can't be so bothered. Not like that. He also wants us to love others, love him and love others wholeheartedly. 
That goes back to Matthew 22, 37 to 40. If you're loving God, you're loving your neighbors, then you're fulfilling what this whole faith walk is all about. Another lesson he taught me was we are called to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So see, Peter trying to take off Malchus's head would not be the harmless part. That's not even necessarily wise. But what he wants us to do is to manifest wisdom. Wise as serpents. I thought about, when I was preparing, I thought about the sons of Issachar. They're spoken of in First Chronicles 12, 32. And what it says about these guys is that they studied, they understood their times, and therefore the culture that they were living in, and they were able to lead national Israel. So this was a group of men, I think the number was 200, it was 200 of them, 200 leaders that really sat down and said, let's look at what's going on in society, where do we need to be, what does God say we need to be doing? That's what he wants us to do, be wise as serpents. But also we should be harmless as doves, which is the part that we miss sometimes because on a good day, if you're getting on my nerves, then you get John, but on a bad day, you get Peter, you know? So, but what we should do is live lives where we do no harm. It's almost like if I'm dealing with you and you're doing all of this ugliness, what I need to do is just walk away and leave you let me leave you to God, because he'll, if I, if I do something in my strength, I'm probably going to make more of a mess. So even if they need to be corrected and I do the correction, I'm probably not going to do it the right way. So you know what? I love you. Let me leave you alone. Do no harm. And that's what Christ did as our Lord. One thing that Jesus reminded me in terms of the lessons, things we should know and do, was that he was a rule breaker. Jesus was a rule breaker by anyone's cultural standards of that time. He healed on Sabbaths. He touched lepers. He ate with tax collectors. He refused to revel in man's praise. He refused to, uh, to condemn the adulterous woman when she was caught in the act, which was interesting because she wasn't acting by herself. So where were the other people? But that was part of the cultural thing. Oh, yes, we should, you know, crucify her and we'll kind of let the guys go. What Christ actually did in breaking rules was he died for the unrighteous because nobody really wants to die for somebody that's evil. Nobody really wants to die for somebody that's doing you wrong. Today's cultural standards, if you want to see the mess that's out there, get on Facebook or, like, watch the TV news outlets, or talk to any of the conspiracy theorists. Literally, about a few months ago, with like the beginning of when it was starting to get nice weather, I was talking to a friend, and he sent me a video. You know how you get your friend sending the video, so you go, oh, let me see what this is? And I looked at it, and I'm like, come on, man, this is the stupidest thing. <laughs> when, you know, 30 years ago when I was working with the Lord, I knew better than this. Come on, man. No, no, I had to write him back, dude, this is nonsense. And, and like, don't look at this anymore because this really isn't helping you. Jesus was a rule breaker, but he wasn't some kind of nut out there just saying things to be doing things. He said things that honored the Father, and he said things that enjoined us to be in closer relationship with him and with the Father. Another thing that he showed me is that I am. Jesus is. 
He's our Savior and our Lord. He's the creator of the cosmos. See, when I think about it, that's going to be, you know how everybody has that, that question, oh, when I get to heaven, this is going to be my question? See, my question is going to be, okay, can you take me, I was going to say, can you take me back to the moment when you did it? But in all honesty, in all honesty, I've really kind of been there already. So I would want to be the moment before you did it so I could see what you were thinking when you did what you did. Okay? L- literally, that's kind of where it's at. So he created the cosmos. He is the way and the truth and the life that we are to emulate and that he wants us to follow. So we should be like him. We should be little emulators of our Lord. As we wind down, if you know him, then what he says he wants us to do is to commit your life to his service. There's nothing higher or better that we can do. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we are committed to him, then we will be honoring the Father and honoring and loving each other. And as a result of that, we'll be fulfilling the law and the prophets. And if you don't know him, then he encourages you to accept him today. Don't wait till tomorrow, because tomorrow is in promise. Now, I'm not one of those like old-fashioned, I grew up like Baptist and Presbyterian anyway, so when I came into the Pentecostal experience, I was like, wow, they get real excited. This is, this is, this is cool. But a, a lot of times I heard that, oh, yeah, you need to give your life to Jesus because if you don't, I'm sorry I laughed. That was kind of disrespectful. But if you don't, you get hit by a bus on the way home, and then where you going to go then because you, <laughs> you didn't give your life to Jesus. So in a way, that's kind of true, though, and I say that because Not that you're going to hit by a bus. But I mentioned that my friend passed away on my birthday. And George and Cheryl were actually at my birthday party. We were down in Orange, Ocean City. We were in Ocean City, and the food was good. We had a good time. And my friend that passed away was at that party. That was last year. And this year, he's gone. So it's not really the... You're going to get hit by a bus because God's going to zap you because you didn't say yes at the moment when they did the altar call. It's not like that. But it is very much like you don't know how much longer you're going to be here. We have no guarantee on how much time we have. So why waste any time with, oh, I think I'll serve Jesus tomorrow. I'll accept him like next week. I got some stuff. I got some dirt I want to do first. Or I got some stuff I want to do. No. When it's on your heart, he speaks to your heart. He speaks to your mind and your heart. There's a whole principle of double witness. I want that. I've been talking long enough. I'm, your eyes are starting to roll up in your head. So I'll stop talking <laughs> in a minute. But the deal is he speaks to our minds as well as to our hearts. That's the double witness within us. We can feel it look right, and we can think that it looks right. So what he wants us to do is to follow him. He wants us to do the things that he wants us to do. He wants us to not wait. Why wait? There's nothing to wait for. If somebody was going to give me, uh, imagine the $500 million lotto, okay? $500 million. That's so much money, it'd probably fill up this whole room. But the deal is, is that if somebody said, you know what, you can have $500 million right now, all you have to do is something that's positive. You don't have to do anything crazy, something positive. Do you think I'm going to be waiting? I'm going to be like, yes, I'll sign right up for that right now because I'm going to help as many people as possible with this $500 million. The deal is, is that what he has for us is of inestimable, inestimable, I think I said that right, 
It's, so, it's worth so much, you can't even put a dollar figure on it. And finally, believe in your hearts. He wants us to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that he is Lord. It's not, it's not really hard. He speaks to your heart. He speaks to your mind. What we are is the totality of, of our thoughts and our words and our deeds. So what he enjoins us to do is to confess it. The Holy Spirit is literally drawing you into right relationship with God. We're not out here on our own. We don't have to figure out a whole lot as much as my question is going to be, so God, what was you thinking that made you create this cosmos? That's not really necessarily important. The important thing is, is am I in relationship with that creator of the cosmos? Because everything else is going to be relative. And he loves you, and he's provided for your salvation through Christ. So in the way of wrapping up, we all face many trials and challenges and distractions daily. It's not like, oh, I might get a trial or a tribulation next month, but between now and then I'm going to be good. There's always something. There's always something that we're dealing with. And Satan's tactic is to get us to focus on the wrong thing. Focus. Look, don't, don't look at this over here. I want you to look at that over there. Or, if you are looking at this, I want you to look at it in the wrong way. So as long as we're not doing what God wants us to do, Satan doesn't really care whether you're way out in left field or you're just like in foul territory somewhere. It doesn't make a difference to him. Whether we knowingly or not act on it, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. That's what this walk is all about. It's not really about us. So we have to be mindful of that. The stakes are high. These are high stakes because there's eternal consequences that go along with it. If I hit the $500 million lotto, if I have 500 million friends, the money's going to be gone really quick. But when I get to heaven and I get my reward there, it never ends. There's no dollar figure that you can put on it. It's, what, it's like fantasy dream comes true. Eternal consequences. So I encourage you to not allow yourself to be lulled to sleep. Don't think that things are going so well. I'm doing, I got it going on, so, you know, I don't need to worry about it. I'm okay. I'm okay, and you're okay. You know how to do that? I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah, both of us are not okay. It's what the real deal is. Seek his will for your life regarding what you need to know and what you need to do. And always be looking for lessons. He's always teaching us. There's always more for us to know. We never get so smart or so old that we can't learn anything else. He loves us. And if we do that, if we look for the lessons that he's teaching us, and we learn what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to know, life is going to be an adventure. I tell you, these last four weeks now, and the next week that's coming, it's been a real adventure. A real adventure. There was, there, was, there was times when I was like, well, I already told you. Lord, can I do this? Yeah, just follow me and you'll be okay. But it's an adventure. So I encourage you to do that. And I love you and everybody have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. 
For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.